Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I hope everyone is doing well this morning and uh, looking forward to continuing chapter 24 of Genesis as we inch closer and closer to the end of the book. Um, still a long ways to go, but, uh, but looking forward to finishing up uh, what is a very lengthy passage and uh, probably as Eric was reading it, uh, a very repetitive passage for you uh, as uh, the servant reiterates everything that has happened to this point as he's speaking to uh, Rebecca's brother and, and mother and everybody else that is there. Um, but just by way of reminder, uh, we're, we're coming at this passage maybe a little bit differently than you've heard in the past. Um, a lot of times there's much, much focus given to the servant, much focus given to uh, Rebecca, um, and even some maybe to Isaac here in this passage. And and I wanted to take a step back and really look at what is this passage revealing to us about God? Because again, as we look at Scripture in general, and, and then specifically as we've gone through the book of Genesis, we've really tried to focus not so much on the individuals who are the instruments of God, but rather on God himself and what he is doing um, in their lives and through their lives uh, to reveal himself as the, uh, as the one true God, the sovereign God. And uh, this morning, we're going to pick up with the rest of the, the observations that I have from this passage about this God. And uh, if you remember, I'll put it up here on the screen, the, uh, the title of the message is The God Who Goes Before, and I didn't update the passage on there, <laughs> but The God Who Goes Before, and, uh, and we had three points, I think we had six, six uh, observations in total, and the three that we had last week um, are as follows. The God Who Goes Before commands impossible tasks. We see here um, the servant being given a, a, a task that in man's eyes would be impossible, but we know with God all things are possible, and, and Abraham even reminds him that God is going to go before him. He's going to send his angel before him, and that's where we, we come up with this uh, revelation of God, that he is a God who goes before, uh, and, and these are just some of the things that we've observed from this passage. So the God who goes before commands impossible tasks. second one was the God who goes before requires immediate obedience. And here we see the uh, the servant obeying right away. We looked at several instances of people who did not obey uh, right away, and, and God uh, provided some form of punishment. Uh, and then the third observation from last week is the God who goes before answers improbable prayers. We see in this passage uh, a very improbable prayer where the servant asks for specific things for God to reveal who he has chosen uh, to be the uh, the heir to be to be the the wife of the heir uh, Isaac, and uh, and so we see this impossible prayer, this improbable prayer that 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 God answers completely. He he makes it very clear by answering all the specific things that that has been asked for, and and revealing even that this is a relative of Abraham. So he, he takes it the, that next step further. And, uh, and so he meets this young lady named Rebecca. She fulfills all these uh, things that, that God has prepared. And he, he recognizes that God has done an amazing work. And, uh, and he's revealed exactly who it is. And, of course, we see the, um, 
the gifts that he gives to her, it's interesting. You don't notice this in the first part, but he mentions it uh, in the passage that was read this morning. Um, if you've ever been looking for a proof text to be able to have a nose ring, this is where it is in Scripture. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I, I did look a little bit into, you know, why in the world a nose ring, and it says he put the ring in her nose. Um, there are some interesting ideas out there. I, I, I quite frankly don't know, but I thought I did find that somewhat humorous as, as we were reading through that passage. Um, no, I would not take that as a proof text, just to, <laughs> just to let you know. Um, but we have we have everything that's going on, and of course we're going to hear we're going to see that repeated. Um, and I won't take the time to read through everything again. We might read uh, specific passages, but I want to I want to look at three more observations that I see about this God, both in the things that He has done and in the things that other people do in this passage, as we've seen so far. Um, so the next number four, the next thing that uh, observation that I have is the God who goes before displays immeasurable grace. The God who goes before displays immeasurable grace. And again, I think this is really revealed in the testimony of this servant as he's speaking to Laban and he's trying to tell him, you know, what's going on. He's explaining to him the uh, the task that he was given. And, and it's just very interesting as as the servant relays what has happened, he, in essence, is giving a testimony of God's grace. Uh, we see him, first of all, here in verses 27 through 28, he, he recognizes God's grace. He talks about the fact that God has, has blessed his master Abraham. He, he, he realizes that this is not just something that Abraham was naturally able to to come by his wealth and, and, and the blessings that he has, it's all from God. And he, he recognizes that and he, and he even uh, relays that to, Ab to uh, Laban. And he says, God has, has blessed my master Abraham and he's blessed him with wealth, but he's also blessed him with a son in his old age and with, his, uh, with a son in his wife's old age. Um, and then he goes through this, this reiteration of everything that has happened. And, and again, we won't read through that, that passage again, but he's basically restating everything that we read um, before. He tells him hey, about this impossible mission that, that Abraham has sent him on, and, uh, and he reveals everything that happened, but he makes very clear that God is the one who has accomplished this. He makes it very clear that that he's praising the God of Abraham for allowing all these things to happen. God, the God who went before him, showed him immeasurable grace. It was it was enough to almost knock him off of his feet. It was an amazing thing for him to before he was even done praying. Right here comes the one that God had had set apart for Isaac to marry. He had, he had planned all these things and worked out all these things. Even before, even before the servant prayed, God had gone before and he had allowed everything to come together very quickly. Um, you know, that's one of the things we talked about is we need to be willing to wait for God's timing. And, you know, it's easy to look at a passage like this and see, man, God, God worked pretty quickly. He had everything ready to go. And a lot of times things don't work out as quickly uh, in our lives. And so it's easy for us oftentimes to 
to miss out on the fact that God is a gracious God. And, and, and we miss out on, on many of the details of God's grace to us. And so as we look at this passage, we see this servant, he's going in, he's reiterating all, all this information, but he's giving praise and honor and glory to God because he recognizes that it wasn't his ability to find this woman. It wasn't just luck. It was God who had gone before, who was showing him grace to get him through everything that he was asked to do. And it was God who allowed him to do that. As we look at this observation, um, I can't help but wonder, do we praise God for his grace to us? How often do we, do we really sit back and think about um, the things that God does for us, not just the big things. I mean, it's easy, it's easy to, to praise God for, for salvation, right? Because it's, it's kind of a, an, an out there concept. You know, it, it, it many times for us doesn't hit us on a day-to-day basis, although it, it really should. Um, but not just the big things like the grace of God in salvation, but, but the daily things, the grace that he has given for us to be able to get up in the morning, the breath that we have every morning, the grace that we have to have the strength to go to our place of work or, or right now maybe to, to sit at home and, and do our work, the, the grace that he's given us uh, to be able to still have a job during this time for those of us that do, the grace that he's given us of good health. How, do we often praise him for those things? Are those things on the forefront of our mind? You look at Everything that, that happened here and continually over and over and over again, the servant is talking about what God has done. And of course, he calls him the God of his master. But you have to, you have to wonder, there had to have been some sort of relationship, at least at this point. This, this guy, whether he's re- understood it or not to this point, he certainly understands how powerful and how magnificent and how full of grace this God truly is. And, uh, and yet, do we do that? Do we think about the little things? Do we look back on the, the, the steps of our life like this servant did? Do we look back on the steps of our, our life and see God working through every step of the way? And do we praise him for it? Do we praise him for the grace that he has given in our lives? It's easy, again, to, to praise him for the big things, especially the, the, the big spiritual things like salvation. But not only do we recognize that, but do we proclaim it? Do we tell others about the grace that God has shown in our life? He, the God who goes before displays immeasurable grace, but he expects us to then share that. And that's also what he's doing here. Not only did he recognize it before, remember we looked at it very, very briefly last week, he recognized and he bowed himself down and he praised God between him and God. But now he's he's telling, he's proclaiming what God has done for him, what God has done for his master, and he's proclaiming that to other people. And the question is, not only do we recognize when God is showing his grace to us, but are we willing to proclaim that to other people? You know, oftentimes on Fifth Sunday, we have the opportunity to share testimonies, uh, opportunity to share prayer requests. And and uh, many times, you know, we get prayer requests, we get uh, maybe somebody shares something that the Lord's been uh, speaking to them about. But sometimes what we miss out on is just simple praise. 
just simply saying, God has been gracious to me in this way. And it doesn't have to be some grandiose thing. We've, you know, we've had uh, several different things said uh, in in consecutive fifth Sundays about our housing situation over the last year. And, uh, and it, and that's kind of a big thing in your life. You know, whether you have a house or not, whether you're, you know, moving into an apartment, all, all that process that we went through, um, you know, that it, it's easy to kind of mention those big things, but what is God doing on a day-to-day basis to display his grace in your life? And are you telling anyone about it? See, the God who goes before in all these situations of our life, he's gone before us and he's going before us to display immeasurable grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve. It's not something that we earn. It's grace. It's God's favor. And he does that not just in the big things. He does that in the day to day. He does that in the minutia of life. And the question is, are we realizing that? Are we recognizing that? And then secondly, are we telling other people about it? Are we proclaiming like the servant did? Are we proclaiming God's grace that he has shown to us on a regular basis? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10 says, this is Paul speaking, of course, and he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to, to, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That was the testimony of Paul. Of course, in this specific instance, he's talking about this thorn in the flesh. But that was that was his mindset, was to give praise to God for the grace, even this daily grace, to get through this uh, this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, we don't know exactly uh, what it was, but whatever that was, he recognized that God was just going to give him the grace to get through the day. How often how often do we just get the grace to get through a day? And how often do we look back on day, that day and, and maybe wipe our brow and, and be like, barely made it, and completely ignore the fact that it was only by God's grace that we made it through. And that's exactly what Paul reminds us of here in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. It is God's grace, his daily grace that gets us through because he is the God who goes before and he displays immeasurable grace. The fifth observation I want to look at this morning is the God who goes before prepares instrumental hearts. Yes, I know. Uh, it's another I. I. I used a thesaurus for this. It took me a little while to come up with a good word. But the God who goes before prepares instrumental hearts. What in the world am I talking about when I say instrumental hearts? Well, what is an instrument? An instrument is something that you manipulate, something that you can use to help you perform a task, right? You you think of a, a surgeon has instruments, 
And uh, those instruments are designed to perform specific tasks, whether it's cutting or whether it's clamping, uh, sewing, all the different things that are involved. That's my limited knowledge of, uh, of surgery. But all the different things that are involved in a, in a surgery, they, have, they, they actually call them instruments. And they are, they are there to perform a specific task. And so when I say the God who goes before prepares instrumental hearts, what I mean is the God who goes before has prepared the hearts of the people involved to do his will. They are his instruments to perform what he desires. And I think it's interesting when you look at this uh, scenario here with the servant you know, he comes and he, he proclaims everything that God has done to Laban and, and his mother and, and everyone there at the house. And uh, but right after that, he, he's he's not he's not done when he when done talking, when he when he gets done with praising God, he, he comes and he he declares everything that is that has been said. And then he he asks the question. Right. He asks the question, he says, but here's the deal. Let me find it here. I apologize. I didn't write it down. So he says to Laban, will you, sorry, page turn. All right. He says to Laban, he says, tell me, and if not, he says, now, now, sorry, verse 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So he's taken all this time to proclaim God's grace. And then he comes down here and, and he says to, her, to, to those who are listening, he says, now God has done all these things, but tell me, have I wasted my time? Because if you're not going to let her come, I, I've got to go, you know, this way or that way. I've got to, I've got to find someone else because it seems to me God has done all these things to lead me to Rebecca. And you need to tell me if that's true, are you going to let her go? And, and we see originally here, we see a very positive response, right? God has, has worked in the hearts of those ahead of time who will be uh, receiving this message, and we see a very receptive uh, response here in verse 50. It says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. All right, so they recognize that God is the one who has done this through the testimony of the servant. They recognize the grace of God who has brought him here, that this is obviously something that God has has uh, planned out and God is is wanting them to do. So they say, "We this has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good." I think that's an interesting statement. We cannot speak to you bad or good. We can't we can't say yes or no. It's 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 not in our position to to tell you whether she should go or not. This is from the Lord. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So we see a very positive response right away from Laban and from Bethuel, the brother and the mother. And we see this, this positive response. And, and of course, God has been working. Uh, and obviously, there's some understanding or some 
uh, knowledge of God, whether it's through Abraham's testimony or even just through the servant's testimony, that this is a very powerful God, a sovereign God, and he has chosen this thing. And they say, how can we say anything either way? It's not our choice. It's God's choice. Take her. She should go. And everything seems to be going very well, right? Everything seems to be going fine till we uh, get down to verse 54. And we, everybody, you know, they, he, he brings out the gifts and he gives them to everybody. And then he, you know, they, they spend the night and they get up in the morning in verse 54. It says, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. Uh-oh. <laughs> Everything had been going pretty well to this point. Um, obviously, we've seen, we've seen God's uh, grace just overflowing on this servant, just taking him step after step after step, leading him all the way here. We, he gets the permission from the, from the brother and the mother. It says, Absolutely, this is God's will. She needs to go. Uh, you need to take her with you. And they get up in the morning, and he's he's ready to go. He's ready to, to continue on his journey and and complete this task that he's been asked to do. And uh, and all of a sudden, there's a roadblock. All of a sudden, they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We didn't mean uh, like right away. Um, let's give us at least ten days, right? At least ten days." And I think it's interesting. They said at least 10 days. Um, I don't know if that was just a number that they threw out just to kind of say, hey, we need some time here, uh, you know, to say goodbye and get things in order. Um, I don't know if that was just a, you know, a customary thing, excuse me, that they said. But, um, you know, they, they wanted some time. They wanted to spend a little bit of time here, at least a couple of weeks to kind of get maybe acclimated to the idea that Rebecca is going to be leaving them forever. And, uh, and the servant is like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is, this is not my understanding. I need, I need to be going, I need to go on my way. Um, and, and he says, you know, this, this is not the plan. Let's keep reading. But he, verse uh, 56, but he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. I think it's interesting that he makes that plea to them. Hey, remember, this is God's doing. He's allowed everything to happen to this point. Don't, don't cause me to be delayed. Send me away that I may go to my master. And it's interesting what they say. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. So they're saying, okay, here's the deal. Let's call Rebecca and see what she says. And, and maybe, you know, maybe they're kind of relying on the fact that she's knowing that she's going to be a little homesick and she'll want to hang out a little bit before she, before she leaves, probably for the rest of her life. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what they were, they were banking on. I don't know. Um, but they, they said, let's bring Rebecca in here. She, she can decide whether she wants to go or not. Verse 58, and they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. So <clears throat> we see God has been preparing the hearts of everyone involved. I think it's interesting. You know, God prepared the hearts of, uh, of the brother who is a, the, basically the spokesperson for the family. He, he prepared the heart of the mother to be willing to release her. Now, obviously, they didn't want her to go right away, <laughs> um, but they, were, they, they had no problem with her going uh, to, to marry Isaac, to be 
the the uh, the chosen bride of of this man. They understood it to be God's will, um, and God prepared their hearts to be open to that. But yet there was a little tension there, right? He allowed them to to have that normal human emotion of, man, she's we need some time. But he also prepared the heart of this woman that he had chosen for Isaac. It's interesting, you look back, you know, a lot of focus is given in this passage on on Rebecca and, and her actions and her attitude towards the servant and the things that he has asked her to do. Um, and, and when you put these things together, you see God has really been preparing her heart for a long time to make her the type of woman that he wanted her to be for Isaac, a woman who is very giving, a woman who is very kind, a woman who is willing to leave everything that she knew and everything she she loved to go with this man, to marry his master, to be a part of what would be the line of Christ. I mean, she didn't probably understand that at all at the time that she's making this decision, but God had been preparing her heart probably for years for this moment. When, the, when they ask her, will you go with this man? Not in 10 days, will you go with this man right now? God had been, pre- been preparing the heart and the character of this woman to say yes. You know, a lot of times our, our path forward that we think God has called us to may seem to block. And it may seem blocked by, by people, by people who, uh, who don't have the same... Uh, ideals that we have, uh, that don't have the same uh, desires that we have, uh, spiritually especially. And and oftentimes it's, it's easy for us to look at those people and just see them as enemies and just see them as, as people who are, who are roadblocks. And, and I think, you know, you could somewhat see that even here, even though it's clear that God has prepared the hearts of, of these people to do his will, they kind of seemed like roadblocks there to this servant to to get the thing done that he had been called to do. He wanted to get going. He wanted to make sure that he was obedient, that he fulfilled everything that that Abraham had asked him asked for him to do. And here are these two people standing in the way. Uh, but of course, God has prepared the hearts of those involved in this process to make sure that His will was accomplished. And even in our lives. When we feel like we've been roadblocked, you know, sometimes God allows the hearts of other people to be um, turned against us. Have you ever thought about that? God allows the hearts of other people to be turned against us sometimes for his will. Uh, it doesn't take you very long to continue reading in uh, in the, the Bible as you go into, <clears throat> excuse me, as you go into Exodus the very next book of the Bible, right? And we see the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. And it's interesting, when you look at that whole process, God tells Moses, before Moses even goes back to Egypt, he tells him, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to make sure that he does not want to let you go. And that seems kind of, Weird. Why would God, why would God want to do that? Because wouldn't he just want to let his people go? And it's interesting. He actually tells Moses why. Because I am going to show my power and my greatness through 
the plagues that I'm going to send. I don't think he actually says that he's going to send plagues right away. But basically, he is choosing to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he would be glorified. So that when we look back, we don't see Moses as the one leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, but rather God is the one rescuing the children of Israel from Egypt. And that's what he wanted the children of Israel to remember as well. It wasn't Moses who came in and led them out. It was God who allowed them to be freed from the hardened heart of Pharaoh. And so sometimes God even hardens the hearts of other people to do his will. Proverbs, very popular verse, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so God is, is preparing instrumental hearts. They're not always hearts that do the things that we think would please God. Sometimes there are hearts that do things that, in our minds, go, go against God. But yet he's allowing and turning those things to accomplish a greater purpose, to accomplish a greater will than just even what he's revealed to us, just even what we think would be best. God is preparing instrumental hearts, both in the positive and in the negative. I think of uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, this is an, an amazing prayer after after they've been um, warned by the leaders, the, the disciples come back uh, in verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, this is an amazing prayer. I, 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 wish, I wish we prayed like this. Uh, this is what they said, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers that were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Of course, we know that's a prophetic verse, and they're they're putting that into this prayer. And they continue, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Why? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They're they're going through trial and tribulation. They're being persecuted and they come before the Lord and they recognize his sovereignty and they recognize that even Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all instruments of God to accomplish his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love this passage because here in the midst of persecution, they understand the, the sovereignty of God, and they understand that God is in control. He is preparing instrumental hearts. He is using people, both good and bad, as we view them oftentimes in Scripture. He's using them to accomplish His will, will. and they don't ask Him to take away the persecution. Did you notice that? They don't ask Him to take away the, the hardship. They ask Him simply to give them 
boldness. They ask him to give them strength to continue to do what he has called them to do. God prepares instrumental hearts. Sometimes there are hearts that are against us, and sometimes there are hearts that are for us. How often have you heard the testimony of somebody who has gone uh, maybe knocking on doors or just talking to somebody in the in just part of life, and through that conversation, they have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. And it's and, and you know we we use this phrase you know some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. And we, we understand that from a theological standpoint, but many times we get disappointed, you know, if they don't, if, if the person we're talking to doesn't make a decision for Christ. Yet when they do, it's just, it's this amazing thing. And we recognize that it's not anything that we say that can convince them, but it's rather the gospel that God over time has been preparing this heart to accept him. God prepares instrumental hearts, whether it's to go against us to provide uh, an adversary, adversarious situations, or whether it's somebody to come alongside and help us. God is preparing instrumental hearts, perhaps even preparing your heart this morning to do his will. God, the God who goes before, will always accomplish his will, and he accomplishes his will primarily through people. So the God who goes before prepares instrumental hearts. One final observation this morning. The God who goes before heals intense pain. The God who goes before heals intense pain. Where in the world are you getting that from, David? Well, let's look at the end of this chapter. Starting in verse uh, 65 or 66. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. This is uh, where they've come, and she sees Isaac out in the field. He was meditating, and uh, we don't really know much about what was going on there other than that. Um, some commentaries say maybe he was praying. Um, we don't know. The Bible doesn't, he just says, just says that he was meditating. Um, so, you know, I don't want to make speculation there, but, um, but he's, he's out in this field and they're, they're coming up and they see, uh, Rebecca sees Isaac says in Rebecca in verse 64, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and when, and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I think that last phrase is very interesting. Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You know, we talked a couple, several weeks ago when we talked about Sarah's death, about the fact that God gave her 30 plus years, I think it was 37 years off the top of my head, I can't remember, uh, with Isaac. And, and it, it's very clear that they had a, a special bond. They had obviously the special bond between any mother and child, but there was there was a deep love, obviously, for his mother. I, I think it's interesting that it says that it, it, it names the fact that he brought her into her, his mother's tent. Um, I don't really know if that was a if there was a cultural thing behind that uh, I think it's interesting that 
after you know this amount of time, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but after this amount of time, you know, the her tent is still up. I don't know. Maybe he took possession of it. We don't know. But I, I just think it's kind of interesting that uh, his mother's tent is is still being used and still thought of as her tent. And um, and so he brings her into his mother's tent and he marries her. Um, and then that last phrase. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And and that's where I get this this idea of the God who goes before heals intense pain. We we know anybody who has lost a loved one can understand the pain probably that Isaac is going through, um, losing his mother. And, uh, and obviously we know, you know, Abraham uh, mourned her as well. Um, but this, this relationship between Isaac and his mother, we see had a pretty big effect on Isaac and, and her death had a huge effect. And it was, it was an intense pain so much so that, that it took another woman, a wife, to, to truly pr- bring him comfort. And you go again, you think back about, you know, God preparing instruments. The type of person that he prepared for Isaac was one that was, that was a, a servant who was kind, who was gracious, who, who showed generosity. I mean, just the, the attitude of Rebecca that, that he would, had cultivated in her heart to become the comfort for Isaac, I think is amazing as you see all these things that God has done. The God who goes before has done all these things to bring about in the end a woman who would provide comfort for Isaac in this time of mourning and hardship. As I look at that um, example here, I, I, I looked at several passages in scripture and I just want to point out a couple of different thoughts from scripture about God and our pain. You know, I, I know a lot, there are people in our congregation who have gone through some, some some pretty intense pain, whether it's the loss of a child, whether it's the loss of a spouse, loss of a parent. Um, typically, those types of loss are are what we would consider to be the most painful when there's a loss of life, a relationship that's broken. Um, you know, we have other other instances of of loss, whether it be a financial loss, a health loss. Um, there are many types of pain that we go through. Sometimes it's even just heartache over the decisions of other people that we know who, who choose to do things that are against God's will. And, and there's pain and there's heartache there. But I, I want to bring out a couple of observations from Scripture about God and, and his understanding of our pain. And, and the first thing I want, I want us to rem- remember is that God is aware of our pain and he will redeem it. He's not just aware of it and, you know, leaving us to, you know, kind of fend for ourselves and deal with it and, you know, ah, they'll get over it. No, God is aware of our pain and he is going to redeem it. Psalm 34 verses 17 through 22 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Let me read that again. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit, crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Of course, we know that's a prophetical phrase there talking about Christ. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. 
None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God is aware of our pain and he will redeem it. Whether that's here on this earth, we, we may deal with that pain all the way through until we get to eternity. But even at that point, it is redeemed because there will be no more tears. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache. God will eventually redeem the righteous from their pain, whatever that is. But not only does God um, know our pain and, 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 and redeem it, but God allows pain and healing from the pain so that we can share our comfort with others. Here we, in this passage, we see that God is, is allowing healing to this pain of loss that Isaac is going through. But God allows pain and healing in our lives so that we can share our comfort with others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7, Paul again is writing here, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul is telling us that we're all going to go through suffering. We're all going to go through pain and hardship. And God is going to allow that to be healed, to be to be comforted in, in some form or another. Uh, that doesn't mean the pain goes away, but it does mean that comfort is given. And, and that we are to then use that to comfort one another. And he says, we are doing the same thing. We're going through suffering and we are comforted. And we are trying to express to you that same suffering as you're going through it and comfort so that you know that there is comfort to come. God will comfort you. And he, because he is the God of all comfort. So God allows pain and healing so that we can share our comfort with other others. Again, this is God's plan. This is, he is, he has gone before all of this pain and all of this suffering, and he has already provided healing for this intense pain. Lastly, God provides comfort through our future hope. And I kind of touched on this a minute ago, but even, even if our immediate circumstances don't change, we have hope for the future because of Christ. Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. It's kind of a long passage, but I wanted to, to end with this. Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait early eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts, I think that's that's an awesome phrase, he who searches our hearts, you think God doesn't know our pain? He knows our pains. He who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All of that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We have a wondrous, glorious, magnificent hope. And the God who goes before has gone before to that end. He is is now preparing for us a place where we will one day be with him. And even though right now we go through pain and hardship and struggle, he is giving us a healing thought. Even even while we're still feeling the pain, we can have hope and we can have comfort because we know in the end we have a home in heaven. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, there is hope. We do not suffer. We do not have pain as those without hope. We have it with hope because we know that the one who is allowing us to go through that pain has gone before and he will bring healing. God is an amazing God. And we see these six things that God has done to reveal about himself in this passage. And I'm looking forward to next week as we as we look at uh, chapter 25, Eric will be preaching uh, for us next week. But as you go throughout your, your week this week, think about the God who has gone before you. Not just in eternity, but this week, today, God has gone before you. He has laid out the path before you for us to walk in it. And he's, he's brought trials and he's brought tribulations, but he's also brought hope and he's brought comfort. And we can focus on the trials or we can focus on the hope. And I I urge you this morning, focus on the hope that God has given us as we go throughout this day, as we go throughout this week, and praise him for it. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. We thank you that you are a God who prepares hearts, that you use people both as instruments of, of pain in our lives and instruments of hope in our lives and, and even ourselves. You prepare our hearts by conforming us to the image of Christ, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be people who see you as a God who has gone before and gives hope. Lord, we look around in our, in our nation, in our world today, and we see a lot of uh, problems. We see a lot of uh, hardship But Lord, we know that you have hope, and first and foremost, that hope is through Jesus Christ. And I pray that as you send us out back into the world in the days ahead, even now as we interact uh, via video and maybe 
as a wave over the fence to our neighbors or whatever it may be. I pray that you would open doors of opportunity for the gospel of Christ to be proclaimed, that we would, as the disciples back in Acts 4, that we would proclaim with boldness, that we would not, that we would understand that you are a sovereign God. We would not shrink back from, from those who would want to keep us from proclaiming your word, but that we would, we would be bold. We would go forth with your power so that you would be glorified and that others would be brought to Christ, so that they also could share in this hope that you have given to us, Lord. We thank you for that, and we'll praise you for that. And we look forward to what you're going to do in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.